Well, hey, we want to welcome you from wherever you're joining us today. Thank you for being part of this time. Thank you for uh, being part of this message. Uh, before we get into today's message, uh, I want to make a statement just on this past week and what's happened in our nation, uh, what's happened for people all over uh, this land and, and actually all over the world as well. And uh, what I want to say is that uh, concerning George Floyd, um, this is a terrible event in our nation's history. Unfortunately, it's not an isolated event. And because of that, um, it's important for us to focus at this time uh, on weeping with those who weep, on mourning with those who mourn, uh, and also looking at this time to ask how we will be the solution to systemic issues of racism. In the George Floyd murder, um, this is something that we as Christians want to be cognizant of, um, that there are many people right now, uh, I was talking with quite a few close friends, people of color over the past few days uh, who are feeling particularly exhausted and uh, even afraid about this. And so that's something that I personally don't have to experience is the pain and the fear of going out after dark, um, wondering what my kid's life will, will be like, or wondering, you know, so many different questions and uh, so much confusion, anger and frustration along with it. Uh, while I don't understand all of that, I just want you to know my heart is uh, broken for uh, George Floyd, for his family, and also for those of you who are going through um, a lot of questions right now. And I don't believe that this is just. I don't believe it's fair. Um, this is also the situation that we are in. And uh, this nation has inherited uh, 400 years uh, worth of um, systemic racism. And it's come through in many different ways. Uh, we want to be part of the solution to that. Um, there aren't easy answers for this, um, but it is important that followers of Jesus uh, make our allegiance to Jesus and loving people uh, as the central theme of our lives. And so for a Jesus follower, uh, racism just is not an option. Racism is not an option. And so I just want to say that today as we begin, because we're going to be looking into this idea of hope in the hurt. And when you look at a situation like this, uh, sometimes it's difficult to feel like there's actually hope. Uh, sometimes it's difficult to believe that the situation will get better, that it can get better, and yet that is exactly what we are called to do as followers of Jesus is to help things on earth become as they are in, in heaven. And in heaven, um, there is no murder. And in heaven, there is no racism. And so um, we speak to that. We stand up for that. Um, today's message will not be 
uh, all around that, but I wanted to make sure that we acknowledge that before we step into uh, this big idea. Um, I believe that having a message for that, um, it's, it's more complex um, than what I'm able to, to share at this time. Uh, so thank you for, for your patience in that as well. Um, and for, once again, for all of you who are grieving and hurting in this, um, we love you, uh, we are praying for you, and um, want you to know um, that we are with you, and um, that in the space where we're not with you, ultimately, our God is with you. Um, he is near to the brokenhearted. So, I want us to shift in to talk about uh, this big idea of hope in the hurt. But before we go there, let's go ahead and let's pray together. So Father, I would ask today that you would comfort our hearts, that we would experience an incredible amount of peace that only the Holy Spirit can bring to us. I ask for people who are confused, scared, outraged, overwhelmed, I ask that you will bring the presence of your peace, and even more, that you will also bring justice into the mix, into the midst of all of this. We thank you that you are a God of justice and a God of grace, but that you are known again and again um, on acting for the oppressed. And so we praise you for that. We praise you that you are a good God and that your ways are consistent and constant. Thank you for being with us, even in the darkest moments. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I was um, thinking about this big idea of hope in the hurt, uh, one of the things that came to me was uh, that hurt comes to us in a lot of different ways. For, for some people, when you talk about pain, uh, pain is something that they've been familiar with most of their life, that they've actually been at odds with the world around them from a very young age. And then for others of us, um, hope, or excuse me, pain wove its way through our lives at different points, but it may have not been the primary theme of how we would categorize our life growing up. And so when we talk about pain, when we talk about um, hope showing up in our hurt, we're talking about something that affects a lot of people in different ways. We're talking about uh, something that can be really complex. But when we go back, I, I, I can actually remember one of those moments in my life uh, early on that just really jumps out at me. And, and for, for you, when I share this story, you may say, man, that's a pretty easy life. And in a lot of ways, uh, yes, I'd say so. Um, but when I was a kid, I remember one time there was an adult uh, who had made a really funny joke and there were just a few of us around. And, uh, you know, I was like six, seven years old. And this adult makes a joke and I start laughing and then the adult decided to make another joke. And this time the joke was about my laugh. I actually laughed like my laugh, which 
the way that they made it sound was, oh, 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 and they did that to me several times. They just mocked my laugh back at me. And, you know, I, I just had this little tender heart. And so I resolved right then that if I laugh out loud and I'm going to get laughed at for laughing, then I'm just not going to laugh out loud. And I actually did not laugh again out loud uh, until I was a teenager. I, I made a concerted effort that every time I would laugh, I would hold in anything that would make any type of sound. And instead of that, like what I would do is I would just shake with laughter. I would silently laugh for years because I wanted to avoid any type of embarrassment and any type of shame that came along with my laughter. Now that's uh, actually one of the sadder things is that I couldn't even truly enjoy funny moments in my life because my funny moments always had just like a dash, just a dash of shame sprinkled into them as I remembered um, what it was like to be shamed for how I laughed. Now, when you think about the moments in your life um, where pain showed up, it's interesting that most of us, when we uh, talk about our pain, there's a location associated with it. There's a moment where someone said something to you. Maybe it was a teacher, and the teacher said to you uh, that, you know, you're just not smart enough, and you're never going to have what it takes to be able to do anything special in life. You know, like maybe for, for you, it's something totally different than that. Maybe for, for you, it's this idea um, that, well, it was, it was a family member um, who treated you harshly in your younger years. Maybe it was uh, a bully down the street. And, and, and maybe it's actually when you start talking about pain, you're remembering moments in, in your life. I can't even imagine what some of you have been through um, when you've been abused in, in certain ways. And that has just continued to weave through the fabric of your life, that there's this thing of pain that it happened at a location, but it's kind of woven its way through. But when you go back to it, there's always a place associated with it. There's a sense of pain. There's a sense of, there, there's a sense of hurt that's associated with those really difficult moments in life. And, you know, as, as I think about pain having a location, I think about how um, in life in general, it's, it's kind of interesting, but um, we often view life by location. Like we do certain things in certain places, right? So, you know, um, I go to a baseball park to watch a baseball game and I go through the drive-through to pick up food and I go to church to see God and I go to a concert to get live music. And so I have different things that are associated with different places. And what I wanna do is I wanna go to specifically to those places to get those things. So if my life is categorized by getting certain things in certain places, then I'm able to kind of determine when and where I'm going to go to get those things. Now, Netflix has made this easy because now you don't even have to leave your house to go to certain places. For instance, if you wanna to go to a place that's funny, you just watch Dumb and Dumber. If you want to go to a place uh, that's a romance, you just watch The Notebook. If you want to go to a place 
that's action and adventure, you turn on the Avengers. Like, the place isn't something you have to go to anymore. It's something that's brought to you. It can almost be on demand. And the way that our lives are structured with on-demand living, uh, whether you're going through Uber Eats or, you know, whether you're going through your Netflix, if we live on, in an on-demand world and we have an on-demand mentality, then what can happen as we go through life is that we expect that things only show up in the places when we want them to be there. And what I have for you in all of this is that there's some really good news. Because in some of the places where you would expect the good things to not happen, that's actually exactly where the good will happen. For instance, your painful moments are not the place that you would expect hope to show up. Most of us wouldn't think it's going to be in the most painful experience of my life that hope will really show up for me. And yet hope, or excuse me, pain, is often the birthplace of hope. Pain is often, it's the location of that pain when you invite God into it that a birthing of hope can happen in your life. And so today, that's what I want us to talk about is what happens when God shows up in our pain, what happens when God shows up in our hurt, and can we experience something else in this life than what we would have thought about in the first place? Can, can our pain become something different than what we would have dreamed, than what we would have expected that it would have become? So like in Psalm chapter 34, the psalmist David, now, we're going to look specifically at two psalms today, Psalm 34 and Psalm 56. And the interesting thing about these psalms is even though there are uh, 22 chapters in between them, they're actually written about the same incident. It's a time when uh, David was running, when he was afraid, when he was on his own, when he felt like everybody was against him. And David actually had a moment. He, I, I guess he had a big beard at this time, uh, but he was brought before the king of Gath, and when he was brought before him, he let saliva go into his beard, and they had heard that he was the one who killed Goliath, and yet this David, he, he shows up with saliva in his beard, and he acts like a crazy man in front of him to try and get out of it, and on the other side, he writes this psalm, and when you start in Psalm 34, you actually look at it, and you go, man, this, this seems like, like a pretty good start. It seems like a pretty good life. He says, I will, extol, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. This seems like a really good experience and really good moment in the life of David. It seems like things are going really well if you don't know the context behind it. But it's that he has come through something. He's been through pain. He's continued to search for a safe place. He's being hunted by King Saul. He's trying to get away. He's having to camp among enemies. It's in that place. It's in that place where he writes this. And he says, I will praise my soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. And then verse six, he says, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. That's a little bit more of what David felt like. This poor man, no resources, nothing. I'm out here on my own. I don't know how I'm going to get forward in life. I don't know how I'm going to make it. And yet I called out to the Lord 
and he answered. He answered me. And David says this about the Lord in this passage, and this is often something that people end up putting, you know, either on their refrigerator on a, on, on a magnet or, you know, they, they put it in a, in a card that they put in the mail when someone's grieving. But when you understand the greater context of this, you understand that David wasn't just saying this about a moment when you lose someone you love. He's saying this about the moment when you feel all alone in the world. He's saying this about the moment when you feel pursued by enemies. He's saying this in the moment when you feel afraid, when you feel alone, that right here in that space, there is hope. And the reason that there's hope is because God shows up in that space. Because God shows up in that space, he gives birth to this thing called hope. It's hope in the hurt. And what it is is this. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close. Like, Let's talk about that again. He's close. He pulls you in close. This can go counter to on-demand living. See, there's a way that we keep a distance from people sometimes. You know what I'm talking about. The people who annoy you, the people who frustrate you, the people who get on your nerves, the people that at work when, you know, you're a little bit thankful that at, you know, 445, you got 15 more minutes before you clock out because you really don't want to see them again. And you're thankful that it's Friday because you're not looking forward uh, to seeing them again on Monday, but at least you got a few days in between that there's a sense of at least I'm getting away from this person. At least I can get home. You know, it's kind of like, once again, you go to the drive-thru. And when you go to the drive-thru, you get to order whatever you will when you go through the drive-thru. But God doesn't exactly work like a drive-thru. It's not like, dear Lord, uh, today I would like to have a McBlessing. And by the way, uh, I would like to have a large grace and an extra large side of mercy with that please and thank you. And I'm just going to order custom from your menu. When you get God in your life, you get all of God. But the good news is when you get all of God, you also get the God who is just. You get the God who is a comforter. You get the God who is for you. You get the God who is with you. You get the God who loves you. And so this God, what is so wonderful and powerful and incredible about God being in your life is that this God does not leave you, nor does he forsake you. Instead, what happens is this. God shows up and God stays with you. He is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to you. So Psalm 139 would say, when I wake up, you're still here. It's an incredible thing. God in your life is close. There's hope in the hurt because the Lord is close. He sees what's going on. He's close to you. In your worst moment, he is still present with you. 
is, it's a God who is here now. There's a young man, early 1900s, who's in New York City. And he's walking through New York City on a rainy day. Comes from a Jewish upbringing. Uh, he's an immigrant who has moved all the way from Latvia to New York City. And he's, you know, trying to find his way, but he can't make his way. And he's worked a bunch of different jobs and trying to make his way in life. And yet he can't quite get forward into what he wants And so eventually at some point he throws his hands up in the air. He says, that's enough. I'm done with it. And I'm moving forward with, well, actually he didn't have something to move forward to. He had realized that he had hit the end of himself and he didn't have any more options and he had actually run out of hope. And so what did he do? He began to walk on this rainy day to commit suicide. And as he walked, this young Jewish man was called out to by a man standing under an awning. And he said, why don't you come and stand under here with me? It's raining. And that man was a Jewish rabbi at a mission. And so Stephen went over and he got under the awning with him. And that day, because this man who was actually a Messianic Jew, he was a follower of Jesus, because he invited Stephen into that place, he didn't know that he was on the way to kill himself. He didn't know that he had run out of hope. But because he invited him in, what God did in that space is he gave birth to hope in the pain. And that man, Stephen is my great-grandfather. So he gives birth to hope in generations through a moment because he stays close. He stays close to us in our pain. It's an amazing thing. Like when you really think about it, it was God who showed up in that moment. It was God who spoke up. It was God who spoke through that man and invited him under the awning to come and have a spell from the rain and ultimately to save his life and to change trajectory of others' futures as well. Without that rabbi, I wouldn't be standing here today. I don't exist without that moment happening. And so the Lord is close And the second thing that I want to talk about on this idea of hope in the heart, the second thing that I think is really important for us to get, the second thing that if we can understand this, it might change how we view our relationship with God and our uh, encounters with God and our connection with God is this. um, The second thing is that in the midst of all of our hurt, in the midst of all of our pain, actually the Lord is collecting the Lord is collecting our pain. See, it says this in Psalm 56, verse 8, and this is in the NLT. Are you ready for, for this one right here? He says, you keep track of all my sorrows. In other words, all the things that I'm dealing with, all the things, you keep track of them. Like, okay, like that's, that's pretty sweet, you know, that, that you have a God who cares enough that he keeps track of your sorrows. And then he says, you have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have collected all 
my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. It's the same story as what happened earlier where David was trapped at Gath, where David had to act like a madman to get himself out. In that moment, when David reflected on it, it overwhelmed him. He remembered how scared he was. He remembered how frightened he was. He remembered how terrified he was. He remembered how he didn't have a hope in that moment, and he was grasping for anything and everything, and he just couldn't quite get there. David sees a God who collects his tears, that this Lord collects your pain. Like, consider what that actually means. Now, for some of us, when we think about God collecting our pain, you may be thinking, hey, that's not such a bad thing um, because you're already fast-forwarding to judgment day and what that looks like when you're standing before God. But for others, you're actually thinking, wow, that is a lot of collection. You know, like that is a lot of God taking in things that I've been through in my life. So, you know, it's like, (laughs) you just imagine it on judgment day, like you're standing there in line and you've got Gregory in front of you and God says, Gregory, come on up. And you got billions of people lined up after you. And, you know, he says, Gregory, uh, paid in full, welcome in, like, well done, good and faithful servant. You're going, man, that's, that sounds awesome. That's what I want to be hearing as well. And then he says, oh, but by the way, Gregory, I just want you to, to, to know that um, you went through some things in, in life. And uh, I have it all right here. Like, it's all here in this 20-ounce jar. Here are the tears. This is from when you were a baby. And um, also along the way, like I, 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 I held on to this because I remembered in the moment uh, when, when you got made fun of in the fourth grade on the playground and you got bullied, like I held on to those tears. And when you were 20 years old and you lost your grandfather, I remember that and I held on to them. And you're sitting there kind of going, uh-oh, this is, if he's holding on to Gregory's tears, then I know exactly what's happening with me because... Uh, there's just been a little bit more activity as far as, as the tears flowing in, in my life than Gregory, clearly. And so Gregory goes through on the other side with his jar of tears, and the Lord tells you, okay, John, come on forward, and you step forward. And he says, paid in full, Jesus paid all of your sins, all of your debts, come on into my kingdom. And, you know, you got billions of people lined up there. And then he says to you, hey, I just want you to, to know. And you're like, hey, Lord, thank you very much. I receive all the grace and I, will welcome, I am welcome in your kingdom. And if it's okay, I'd like to just go in there right now and start experiencing. He says, no, in his very loud voice, I just want you to know that I have been hanging on to your really difficult moments throughout life. I really care about you. Thank you, Lord. I appreciate that you care about me. And he says, no, no, no. What I, what I want you to know, John, is that you are really special to me. And that's why I've, I've actually collected all the tears of your life. And you're saying, that's not what I was really hoping for. 
I mean, I was kind of hoping this was a metaphor. And then the Lord says, okay, uh, I've got these, and these are your tears from when you were a baby, but hey, Gabriel, if you would, and this is John. John, he's the one I've been telling you about. Yes, John, he's been through some things in life. Yes, you know where the warehouse is. Go ahead, get the U-Hauls. Load the U-Hauls up. Yes, the 200 gallons of tears from John, let's load it up because I've been saving those tears for all of these years so that I could let him know that I have been collecting them. John, well, and John's like, hold on, wait just a second. Like, can we just move on with this? I appreciate that you saved my tears, but I don't think that's what the scene on Judgment Day looks like. Maybe it does. Maybe that would be really special is to see 200 gallons worth of tears for those who have been going through some really difficult things throughout life. What we're getting at here, though, is we're getting at a God who collects your pain. He doesn't collect your pain with any type of laughing at it, but he collects your pain and his heart breaks for you. This is the same God who shows up at the tomb of Lazarus and when Jesus showed up to see his friend Lazarus who had died, what happened there? It says that Jesus wept. If you're wondering where God is in the heartbreak and in those situations, he's right there beside you at the tomb weeping. That's who God is. That's who God is. He's at the tomb with you, weeping. On the playground in sixth grade, he's right there with you, and he's weeping. When you lost your grandpa at 20, he was right there beside you weeping. When you went through the things that nobody knew about, he was right there beside you weeping. This is a God who collects your tears and he is a comforter who walks with us in the process. You don't have a God who's disconnected. You have a God who's present, who's with you. And what he does in your most painful situations is he continues to show up. And in those moments, if you invite him in, He'll give birth to hope. He'll bring something good out of it that you didn't expect. And I believe this because there's another factor about God, and that's in um, in the book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. Once again, those who feared the Lord. Can we just talk about that? Those who feared the Lord, like they, they got together and they talked. It wasn't the, this other thing, it was they got together and they talked. They got together and they talked about who God is. And when they did, 
It says that the Lord listened and he heard. And he got so fired up about these people who took time with everything going wrong in their situation, in their cities, in their lives. Everything was off base, but they decided to fear the Lord and to honor him. And it says the Lord listened. He turned and he listened. He, he's listening in. And then he says, hey, bring a scroll of remembrance to me. Bring a scroll in because I want to write this down. In fact, bring it over. Let's write this down. We're going to keep a book of this because the Lord remembers. The Lord records those who honor him. Isn't that amazing? He's not just going to look and collect your pain. He's not just being close to you in the crisis. He's also listening in for the people who will say, well, what if we stepped out and made something different on God's behalf? Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Let's get together and talk about the Lord and what he might be willing to do in and through us. And when we get together in that way, something really powerful begins to happen. That is what God just might be willing to do in and through us. That's the third thing. God doesn't just take us from being close in our sorrows. He doesn't just come close to us in our pain and collect our pain, but he also is listening for those who will honor and he's recording those who continue to honor him even in the worst, even in the most difficult, even in the hardest situations. Those who say, let's be the solution. Let's be the solution. Our God is good, life is difficult, life is painful, life is hard. There's a lot of pain that all of us are going through, but what we wanna do is we wanna come together. We're gonna come together, we're gonna pray together. If we have to come together on Zoom, we're gonna Zoom together. We are going to get together and we are going to dream together of what God might be willing to do through us. We're going to step in and be the solution to these challenges. We don't even know exactly how it works, but we would rather fail at doing something than succeed at doing nothing. So we're going to step into it knowing that we have a God who is close to us. We know that he stays close to us. We are the, the ones who are brokenhearted about a current situation in our world. In all of the devastation and all of the concern, we have a God who is with us. He walks with us. He collects our pain, but he doesn't collect it to ever mock us, to ever tease us. He collects it because he remembers us to show us that he was with us in the process. And he's looking in and he's listening in to see who is willing to step forward. What I think is interesting about the story of David is that David did not let that experience be the defining moment of his life. 
Now, it defined his life. I think sometimes we say, ah, oh, that, that moment didn't define me. It, 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 it defines us at some level. When you go through something painful, when you go through something horrendous, like we got two psalms out of it. And by the way, I just want to say, if you're wondering about your life in God and the connection and the rhythm, I know that unfortunately we don't have a lot of songs for situations like what we went through this week and what people go through all the time. The book of Psalms shows us that the language of God's people is often lament. And you need a space in your life. The Psalms show us that you don't have to be afraid about getting too high or too low for God, that you can go to whatever place in your emotions that you need to go, whether it's rage, whether it's sorrow, whether it's joy, whatever it is, you can put all of that there with God. And when you do and you bring all of that there to him, he comes into that and you find hope in the pain. You find hope in the situation. You find a hope in the place where you didn't expect God to show up. That's what happens when we invite God into that place in our lives. There is hope in the hurt. I was thinking, you know, my life early on, I, I, I didn't go about laughing for quite a while. The funny thing about it is, uh, or I didn't laugh out loud. The funny thing is that when I started laughing again, I actually, like, tried different ways of laughing because it was really unnatural when I started laughing again. So like I was trying to find my laugh. Like how do I laugh when I haven't laughed out loud for five, six, seven, eight years? Like do I get to create my, my you know, a laugh now? And at some point it came together and you know, uh, I had a few people a few years ago tell me that they loved my laugh. So I felt like God kind of redeemed that entire situation. But whether they love it or whether they laugh at it now, like I'm gonna laugh because I'm going to enjoy life. I've discovered in life that it's better to laugh loud. And it's better to love hard, it's better to live full, it's better to, leave, to, to lead strong even in the most difficult circumstances. But here's the thing, from a person who was actually probably really well-meaning in their intentions and just wanted to have a, a good laugh in, in the moment, um, I was mocked there in the moment. The intentions though that we see in the Gospels show us that we have a Savior who went to a cross and in that place, he wasn't mocked for his laughter, he was mocked for his life. It was in that place where the greatest amount of pain showed up. Like it was right there. That's where God, I mean, from, from the look of things, you would think that there is no hope going forward in that moment. The Son of God is being tortured. The Son of God ends up on a cross. The Son of God dies. And this is why I believe that there is hope. Even in the darkest moments, there's hope in the pain. It doesn't make the pain easier. It doesn't make the pain go away. It doesn't make the pain not real. And it doesn't make all the bad things that have happened okay. but it's the belief that God works all things together for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose.
that there is hope that shows up for us. And ultimately, hope shows up as a person. The person's name is Jesus. That in the darkest moment, God continues to work in our lives. And Jesus, in his worst moment, when the world thought it was over, when it was only pain and mockery and shame, that Jesus took all of that and all of our sins on him. And in that place, he would give us eternal life. That in the world's worst day, God shows that he is still good and that he's still working and that he's going to bring hope even in the worst situations. That God is close to you when you're brokenhearted, that he's collecting the pain and that he's recording those who say, you know what? God, it's your name and your renown. That's the desire of our hearts. So we're gonna keep walking forward with you and the cross is the evidence that you are still good, that you love us, that you are for us, that you are going to work in and through all these things and we're going to continue to live forward into this great story you've called us into. That's the invitation of hope. That's hope showing up in the pain. Hope is here for us in the hurt, and his name is Jesus. And so I just want to give us time today, if you would, to call out on his name. Wherever you are, God sees you. He's close to you. He's close to you. He cares for you. He's not leaving you alone with your pain. He's actually collecting it to show you that he's with you. And he's looking for those who will continue to honor him even in the darkest day. So let's pray. God, I ask today that you would bring us hope, that you would bring us comfort, that you would bring peace into our hearts that you would teach us a new way, your way of love and of life. That you would show us what it looks like to be hope in the worst situations. That we would, in this present moment, that you would birth hope in us and that we would experience the power of your life and that we would give our lives away for the sacrifices of love and the joy of others because you've called us to it. And so we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.